This past week, I was looking at CNN and uh, saw the top 10 girl names from 2018, most of which ends with an A. Uh, I don't know how many of these will surprise you. The number one girl name is Sophia. That means wisdom. Uh, Olivia, Emma, I mean, we, we've got just about all of these in our nurseries in, in some form, okay? Here are the guy names from top 10 boy names, Liam, Jackson, Noah, Aiden, Grayson. Again, you know, that this sounds like our nursery back there. Caden, Lucas. I, I named Lucas Lucas before Lucas was cool. I think everybody's following the trend of my Lucas. So he wasn't in the top 10 in 2000, but... Uh, Elijah, Oliver, but look at this, for the first time ever in the history of the United States, a religious name that doesn't come from a, from a biblical background, Muhammad is number 10, okay? All right, now I've got another set of 10 names I'm going to give you, see if you've heard of these guys before. Shamua, okay, what, what do these 10 names have in common? If you had a list in the Bible, okay, don't say they're the names of wells at SeaWorld, Okay? That's, that's not what they are, okay? If you guessed that, you'd be wrong. Well, what do these 10 names have in common? Anybody want to take a shot at that? Now, these are not Wayne County names. All right, you got that right. What do they have in common? Yeah? Other than they're the names of people, okay? What else do they have in common? Have you heard the story before from Numbers 13 and 14? where God promised the land to the Hebrew people and they sent in spies and 10 of the 12 thought that it would be great to live there, but that they were too scared to go in. Have you heard that story before? That's actually the story we're talking about today. And these are the names of the 10 cowards who were afraid to go in. And the Bible gives us their names. How would you like that? For all, you know, I'm assuming that hopefully these guys are believers and they're in heaven. You're going to get to heaven someday and got some guy, the only guy in heaven named Shamu is going to come up to you. You're like, oh, I know who you are. You're the guy who blew it. I mean, you don't want your name in the Bible as the first guy on the list of a group of 10 cowards who are afraid to do what God had called them to do. But this is that list. And as I go through that list, you don't know anybody named any of these names, do you? We don't name our children after cowards. But at the same time, there were two men who went in and saw the potential that was there, saw an opportunity because of what God had promised them. And how many of you have ever heard someone named Caleb or Joshua? Raise your hand if you've ever known a Caleb or Joshua, right? So these are the people we name our, our sons after. We name our daughters after heroes, not cowards. So I want to give you the background to this, this passage. And man, I'll be honest, like, there's not a ton of like deep theological truths that you've never heard before that I'm going to share with you today. But man, these are incredibly practical. And I guarantee that if you just listen and receive the word of God today, it's going to speak to some area of every person's life in every service that hears this sermon today. We'll begin in Genesis chapter 17 where God speaks to Abraham and promises him what became known as the promised land. God says, I will establish, Abraham, my covenant between me and you 
and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you, okay? Uh, and I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, until you lose it in A.D. 70. Is that what your Bible says? No, the land that is Israel today was prom and actually broader than that, was promised to the physical descendants of Abraham for how long? Forever. This is their land. As long as this earth exists, that land was promised to the descendants of Abraham. An everlasting possession, and God is intended to be their God. This is the land promised to them. So you, you know the story if you've been here. We've been talking about it. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, his grandson, then Joseph went to Egypt. He went down there. Eventually, the entire family had to go to Egypt because of the famine. While they're there, they became enslaved for 400 years or living in slavery. And then God shows up to Moses and says, now it's time for my people to be released. And I'm going to take them back to the land I have promised them. That's why we call it the promised land. To the land that I promised Abraham. And it's going to be their land. And it's supposed to be an everlasting land given to them. So here they are. They, they've made their way through the Red Sea. God's provided for them even throughout their sin while they were in the desert wilderness. And God speaks to Moses in Numbers chapter 13. If you want to, go ahead and turn there. Numbers chapter 13, verse 1. Where, where's Numbers? That's probably not where you're doing your devotional reading throughout, throughout the week. So Genesis is the first book, Exodus, Leviticus, then Fourth book, Numbers, okay? So Numbers chapter 13, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. So you're having representative government here, send in one spy from each of the 12 tribes are going to go in. This is what we call in military terms a reconnaissance mission. What is reconnaissance? It is, it is an exploratory, I looked this up in like army.com, all right? It, it, it's an explorative survey of a situation for the purpose of ascertaining a strategy by, what you, by which you might find success, okay? To say that in more layman's terms, a reconnaissance mission is where you explore the layout of the land, and then you come up with a strategy by which you can take that land. That's a reconnaissance mission. I, I want to share this, first of all, just as a general principle. It's not a lack of faith to do reconnaissance work. God actually told them to do this. God didn't tell them, like, here, this land is yours. Just walk in without a plan. No, God sent them in and said, go in. This is your land. I've promised to you, but you're going to have to come up with a reconnaissance plan. How are you going to take the land which I have given you, the land which you are supposed to have? They didn't just pray about it. And this is a lot of times, especially in evangelical churches, this is what I think we can do. I think a lot of times when we know that something is God's will, we will just sit back and pray for God to make it happen. That's not what he's doing with these men here. God is saying, 
This is your land. Now it's your job how to figure out how to make it happen. Brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you this morning that without a doubt, from the Great Commission, Jesus Christ has not just given us one specific plot of land, but he has given us the entire earth as our Great Commission that we are to make disciples of all nations. Every place where people live, God has given us that land. But if we sit here and just wait to reach the tri-state area, say, God, we just want you to reach the tri-state area, and we just pray about it, we're not doing our reconnaissance mission. Do you, do you follow what I'm saying by that? We, we have to put some feet to our prayers. God, we pray that you give us wisdom as we come up with strategies by which we can reach families in the tri-state area by which we can reach the schools in the tri-state area, by which we can reach Marshall University where three or 4,000 students are moving to our area every year. God, give us a reconnaissance mission here in the tri-state area. How can we overcome the drug problem? How can we invade the gates of hell, bust them down so as a church family we can do what you have called us to do that is, make disciples of everyone who lives in this land. This is what God's called us to do. So these men go in, and they're in there for 40 days. Now, 40 days is a significant number in the entire Bible, okay? Uh, just, just help me, if you will. What, what are some 40 days things you know about in the Bible? What's that? 40 days of rain, the flood, okay? 40 days of rain, it's symbolic of a full flood that covers the entire earth. The full flooding of the earth, it takes 40 days to do a full anything, okay? We just talked about 40 days a couple of weeks ago. What was the 40 days just a week or two ago that we talked about? Moses received the law on Mount Sinai. What, what is our Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy? He received all of that on Mount Sinai, and it took 40 days for him to either God to write it on a stone or for Moses to write it down. Man, can you ever think about I was talking with Greg Hensley about this, uh, I think it was last Sunday night or Wednesday night. Can you imagine, like, Moses is up on Mount Sinai. He's got the Ten Commandments. He's got all the laws. He's got Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And, he, and he's getting ready to go back down the mountain. He says, no, wait a minute, God. i got a couple questions. Please explain dinosaurs to me. Like, what happened to them? Like, how did you create the whole thing? I mean, how did we get here? And God said, well, that's a good question, Moses. Because remember, he saw Moses face to face. He says, well, in the beginning... I created the heavens and earth. And Moses is like, man, that's awesome. I need to write that down. All right? And then he, well, in the first day, I said, let there be light. And then it, my spirit was hovering over the waters. And you can just, you can just see how Moses is like, oh, this is cool. We've always wondered this. Like nobody had this inf inside of information. And they were like, now, how did all the animals not get wiped out? I've heard stories about the flood. Well, here's the deal. I had this guy, Noah, you've heard of him. Yeah, yeah, he's my great, great. And then he's writing all this stuff down. All right? So, 40 days of God revealing his will. There's another 40 days that you've probably heard of New Testament-wise. What's that? Jesus going to be tempted in the desert. You see, this what the full revelation of the Old Testament law, the full wiping out of the earth through the flood, the full temptation of Jesus Christ. 40 days means totality in the Bible. Whenever you do something 40 days, that means you're getting absolutely to the heart of it. It takes 40 days to do this. And these guys took 40 days, 12 men, to explore a plot of land 
that they'd never seen before that is about the size, just a little bit larger than the entire state of West Virginia. Now, I'm just going to ask you a question. Would it take a full 40 days for 12 guys to scope out the entire state of West Virginia? And the answer to that is what? Yes. I mean, these guys are moving to cover that much land. So they go in and they, they, they take it all and they see just the hills and valleys. And it wasn't all desert land like what you see today. I mean, it would have been more lush than what we see in, the, in pictures today throughout, especially Jordan River Valley over by the coast. So at the end of 40 days, we see in verse 25, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. This would have been outside down toward the south. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation, and they showed them the fruit of the land. Now, the Bible tells us in the earlier verses that they had to get to a stick that the clusters of grapes were so large that they had to get a stick and put it on one guy's shoulders and another guy back there that they had this cluster of grapes that was so huge. And they brought fruit. They brought pomegranates. They've got dates running everywhere. And they're bringing this back. And people are like, this is the best fruit we've ever had alive. This is incredible. Look how huge. What a great plot of land this is. And they told them, they said, we came to the land which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey. And this is his fruit. And everybody's like, this is awesome. Praise the Lord, the promised land. But then they came to the however, the but. It's like when somebody says, I go to my wife, I said, honey, I love you, but, well, you know it's coming next. Like an argument, right? Here it comes. Whatever I said before, I just want to put it in that context, but what I really want to communicate is what's behind the but, right? Right? So here they are, however, but here's the problem. Here's what we really want to communicate. The people who dwell in the land are strong. And the cities are fortified, and they're very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. And the, these would be very big people, giant people. We'll, we'll talk more about that tonight. Man, there's so much more in this passage that I can do this morning. We'll do in tonight's Bible study. It says, and the Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell down by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb stood up, and he quieted the people before Moses. Shh, hush up. You guys listen. Let's go up at once. Let's do this right now and occupy it. For we are well able to overcome it. One guy stands up and he's got faith at this point. We'll see Joshua join him later. And then the men who had gone up with him and said, We're not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. And so they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw there in it are of great height, and there we saw the Nephilim, that's these giant people, the sons of Anak who come from the Nephilim, again, we'll, we'll go over who those are this evening, and we seemed like, we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. It's like when they rolled into town, they look at you, boy, who are you, little fellow? Nice to see you, little Johnny. What are you, fellas? Who are, what, what's your background? And as soon as they put this out there, 
despite what Caleb and Joshua were saying, all the congregation raised out a loud cry, and the people cried. Here we left Egypt. We came out here, and all the people, all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Now, before I go any further, it's not the first time this has happened. I mean, it's just, it's like every week we have another story of Moses trying to humbly lead the people and them griping about him. It's just constant complaint, complaint, complaint. Man, I got to give you this, all right? I got to give you this as a congregation. Sometimes I like rebuke and exhort you, and that's another, you know, in Greek that means kick them in the butt, all right? So I, I realize sometimes I do that, but we regularly have such unity uh, just here with our budgets and going through the process, and people do ask questions. It's not that they're unthinking people, but even over at Ashland, they just had like their first unanimous vote in many years. Um, I thank you for that. I thank you for not being like the Israelites. <laughs> it just, it, it makes it so much more a joy here when I talk with other pastors or even convention leaders. I mean, it's just grumbling all the time. Thank you for not being like these people. I just appreciate that. Okay, so when I, I share these stories, like if I were preaching at a lot of other churches, I might hammer them more, but I'm not. I'm just, I'm really thankful. Uh, there's so much more I could say, but I'm going to keep going. Okay, so all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation, it's like they took a vote. Now, I love this. Like, they, they got together. Moses and Aaron are sleeping in their tent. Everybody's together, and they all come up at once saying, well, we've been talking. That's one thing as a pastor that does drive me crazy. I don't get much of that anymore, but, oh, boy, did I used to. Like, well, we were talking in our Sunday school class, and here's how you need to be a better leader, or here's how you need to shut down this other Sunday school class. We, me and mine, we got together, and here's our opinion on how you ought to do things. Listen, I love to hear individual comments. I don't love it when you all get together and have some kind of meeting before the meeting to come and give the opinion of you and your little clique. All right? I want to hear from you, but what, here's the reality of it, what it is. What this shows of, you had a bunch of rabble-rousers going around to individuals who thought, as individuals, Moses and Aaron won't take me seriously if I come by myself, so I'm going to grab a group of 10 people, and then those 10 people said, well, Moses and Aaron aren't going to take us seriously if we come by ourselves, so we're going to grab 10 other groups of 10 other people, and then it just came to where there was thousands of people coming, and literally the Bible says they're ready to stone them. That's how it happens. They didn't have emails. They didn't have a text blast sent out to everybody. It's just one disgruntled group getting with another. Isn't it amazing how disgruntled people just tend to find each other? They just, they just got away. It's like they've got radar. Negative person over here. I'll talk to you. You can just see by the scowl on their face that they're not happy with something going on. And then, then they coagulate like a blood clot and a scab. So here they come. It says, would that we had died in the land of Egypt. Well, the reality is if they would have stayed in Egypt, what? They would have. Or would that we had died in the wilderness. Why is it the Lord 
Why is the Lord bringing us into this land? To fall by the sword? Is that why God brought us up here so these people can kill us? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. In other words, they'll kill all the men and they'll take our wives and children as slaves. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? Now, if I'm Moses at this time, say, haven't we already answered that question three or four times before this week? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Now, just to give you a little hint for upcoming weeks, this plan didn't work, okay? God shut it down. But I want to spend the rest of our time this morning just looking at their mindset and addressing some of the internal issues of their hearts and then for us to look and see how those might apply to us today, okay? First thing I want to start with is this. Here are some mistakes we can make when we are living by fear instead of faith, okay? I've got three main ones, then I've got some applicational takeaways of the day. Here are some mistakes we can make when we're living by fear instead of faith. Here's number one, and boy, do I see this all the time. When you're living by fear instead of faith, we return to the familiar past even if the past was harmful. There is, there's a certain safety in the way you used to do things even if it didn't work for you. There's something like, this is the lifestyle I used to have. And when you just start getting a little bit lazy and you quit trying to take new land, the easy thing for you to do is to fall back with your old friends that you used to hang with years ago. To fall back into habits with the people you used to habit with. And you know, I see this all the time, you know it's not good for you. You know that wasn't a good life, but the reason you go back to it is because you know what you're going to get with that. It's like people say, better the devil you know than the one you don't. And so they go back to the devilish ways because they are afraid of what God has before them. Do you follow what I'm saying? We can all fall into those bad behaviors because they come from a bad heart. And that heart is telling us, don't tread out for something new. Don't trust God for your future. Stay with the known versus the unknown. And listen, faith by its very definition moves you from the known to the unknown. Do you understand that? If you know what's coming and you're heading that direction, it doesn't take faith to get there. Do you understand that, church? Faith, by its very definition, takes you to places you've never been before. So leave that past behind, that harmful past behind, and go into something bigger and better that God has for you. Number two is when we're living by fear instead of faith, We can exaggerate obstacles that stand between us and what God has for us. You see, God had the land. He promised them, this is your land. You can take it. It is yours. Go get it. But they see the obstacles there, the giants in the lands, the the fortified cities, the, the tall walls. And it became bigger. Listen, the people in the land weren't giants. 
We've done archaeological studies. They weren't 10 feet tall, okay? We found their, yeah, were, were they on average probably six feet tall? Yes. Were the Jews on average 5'8"? But listen, I've seen a lot of 5'8 guys who can whip six-foot guys. It's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's what? The size, the size of the fight in the dog. And so this is what we do. We see it. And this is what, this is just what they call the loser's limp. I, I'm, I'm just going to say this right now. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. When I'm watching football or basketball, and somebody breaks a big play or whatever, or they fall down and somebody scores on them, and they jump up and they start giving the loser's limp. Oh, the reason I just gave up that basket, the reason I just got beat is because my ankle got a little twisted. I mean, my dad had a way. If I ever see you limp on the court, I'm going to come up and drag you off and take you to the hospital. They used to teach you, like, you don't do that. If you got a limp, you're injured, you don't play the rest of the game. These guys that go off for one play, like, oh, go hurt. They sit there two minutes and then they come running up down the court. You weren't hurt. What's wrong with you? All right? So this is what I want to say, man. Don't exaggerate the obstacle. That's the loser's limp. That's fear instead of faith. Get up, man. Just get some mm to you. If God's promised it to you, then what? You can take it. Number, oh, I want to say this. I gotta throw in a Fred Rogers quote because you gotta see this movie. All right? It's not fast paced, but man, I mean, I just rarely do I watch a movie and think I'm a better person because I've spent two hours in a theater. Okay? But Fred Rogers said this if something is mentionable, it's manageable. Okay? If something is mentionable, it's manageable. In other words, if you're having a fear, the best way to overcome that fear is to do what? verbalize it the first thing you have to do is say i'm dealing with fear here and listen 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 oh it's so important listen this is why he says it this is why the bible says it but listen if you're scared of something the devil doesn't want you to talk about it because as long as you keep hiding that fear inside of yourself you will remain fearful over it if you're scared of end-of-life decisions, it's amazing to me how many times people will say to me, man, I don't want to do a will because I'm afraid if I do a will, something will happen to me, okay? There's a word for that in the English language. It's called stupid, okay? <laughs> All right? You're not going to die any sooner because you put a will together. But people are afraid to do it. They're afraid to talk about it. They're living out of fear instead of faith. And this is why, man, you got to get your house in order so your family's not arguing about what to do with your kids if two of you die in a car wreck. And a lot of you are saying, oh, no, what if that would happen to us? It happens. People die. But the way you manage that fear is you say, here's what's happened. If something would happen to us, here's how we're going to manage it. It doesn't matter what you're doing in your life. Listen, if you're scared of something... The first thing you do is what? Admit it. That's where faith can start to grow. Admit your dependency on God, and if it's mentionable, it will immediately become what? Manageable. Thank you, Fred Rogers. Watch that movie, all right? Number three. 
When we are living by fear instead of faith, we can exaggerate our own deficiencies. Look at how they're looking at us. We're like grasshoppers in our own eyes. We're just this big and they're that big. Henry Ford had a quote. I'm all about the quote today, all right? This is what he said. I, I use this with my kids all the time. Whether you think that you can or that you can't, you are usually right. Okay? I, I teach this to guys that I coach in basketball or football or whatever. I remember going out to Titus on a mound one time, and he just couldn't throw strikes. All right? And so I went out to talk to him at the mound. I said, Titus, what are you doing? He said, I just can't throw strikes today. And I said, well, I might as well take you out because if you think you can't, then you won't. And so out he goes. I gave him the hook. I didn't make him stay out there because he was convinced in his mind he couldn't do it. Next time he went out, I just asked him, are you going to throw strikes today? And he looked me right now and said, yes. And best game he ever pitched. What changed? Did he get some kind of miraculous Holy Spirit power in his left arm? It was all in his mind. Whether you think that you can or that you can't, you're usually going to be right. And this is what they were facing here. Listen, I want to tell you this. If God says in his word that you can do something or that you should do something, then you need to think, I can do this. No matter what tribulation comes your way, if God says, I will give you the strength to sustain you through whatever that is, if God promises it to you, then it's yours. You can do it. If God says you can do it, listen to this. Believe him over your friends, over your family, especially over yourself. So I'm here today to tell you this. Listen, especially at this Christmas season. God wants your family to be at peace. God wants your marriage to thrive. God wants your children to flourish. He wants these things for you. But I'm, I'm here to tell you, especially in the tri-state area, here's the big deal. The reason we're not having any more success than what we are, it's not because of the obstacles that are before us that are out there in other people's minds. It's not because this is what we want to, we want to blame our problems on sociological phenomena that place themselves upon Appalachia that keep us from growing. I'm here to tell you this morning that the number one thing that keeps Appalachia from rising up from its current condition, from being able to overcome the drug problem, is not the obstacles that are out there. It's the obstacles that are in here. Because we think we are like grasshoppers in our own eyes. One of the things that uh, Coach Craycraft, and I realize a lot of you haven't been here since Croak's Coach Craycraft was here, but he, co he and Coach Ward coached for years, CK football. And if you're from Vincent and Buffalo, forgive me for this illustration. All right, but this is just something that Coach Craycraft taught me. He says, there were two or three games a year that we would play where the other team had more talent than we did. But Coach Ward and I convinced our guys that we were better than them, even though deep down we knew physically we were not. And somehow we would beat these teams year after year just because not only we knew, but we were going to win. 
I got, I got to bring this up. You guys are going to hate me for this. You're going to hate me. With it. I probably shouldn't even say this in this room. Like, especially after Alice Lee's Ferguson's. Like, they wanted me to say, let's go Mountaineers during a funeral. Okay? I did it three times. All right? So, but, yeah, like, oh, you said, like, I won't do it again this morning. All right? So, not during a worship service. Okay? Because here that would be blasphemy. All right? So, but this is what happened a few years ago. Marshall had WVU beat in football. Hadn't beat. Dean, I thought, you got us beat. We're like, we're out of here. I'm not staying here. I got my WU jersey. Everybody's like, yeah, yeah, you got stink. We're going to beat you for 700 years. This is our night. And you're coming down. You're up by 11. And you got first and goal at the four-yard line. And there's only like three minutes left. You're up by 11. W's out timeouts. First and goal at the four, about ready to take it in to go up 18. And Marshall hands it off. And the running back fumbles it. W recovers it on the four-yard line, 96 yards from make, being four, minutes behind, four points behind with three minutes left. And the whole stadium just goes quiet. And people start yelling, we're going to lose. You're up 11 with three or four minutes to go. You've been beating them like a drum the whole time. And just a hush went on the place. And if you're there like that, everybody admits it. Everybody just went, oh, we're going to lose. Why did Marshall lose that game? It wasn't because W was better. I can't even speak for the guys playing in the, guy, the game, but I can't speak for the 40,000 people that went there. They were like, oh, no. And they seemed like grasshoppers in their own eyes. Man, listen. Listen to me. Whether you think you can or whether you think you can't, you're usually right. Faith sees opportunities where fear seems op sees obstacles. There's something I just believed when I moved here. The church had just been through a, a split 22, 23 years ago. People were arguing with each other. But I'll be honest with you, like, I gotta, I gotta rephrase that. I didn't see it here. There's only one person in my life who said, at that time, who said, it's a good idea to go to Canova. You can do something there. Start from the ground up. You know who that was? Dee Willis. She was the only one in the state on Baptist level or whatever that said Canova is a good place to go right now. But where everyone else saw obstacles, Dee Willis saw an opportunity. She said they could use somebody to come in there and give them a shot on the arm and help rebuild that youth ministry and just get that place going again. You are the guy to do this, Steve. And my wife believed in me, and that's why I came. I wasn't going to come. She made, I refused. She said, well, let's flip a coin. It's a true story. And I didn't agree to flipping the coin. The odds were 50-50. I wasn't good enough because don't you know I'm the spiritual leader in the family. This should be my call. I'm the man. She well, how about we flip two coins? Give me a one in four shot. Well, how's this going to work? Well, here it is. 
If you flip heads, we'll do whatever you think God wants you to do. But if you flip tails, and I flip tails, we'll do whatever God is telling you to do. But if God gives me the head this one time, we're going to Canova. So I flip my coin, guess what? Tails. Please, God, don't give her heads. <laughs> and when that thing came up heads, the Lord has spoken, and I can tell you this. From that point on, I never looked back. We were in. All in. Yeah, we've got economic problems down here. The way I look at it, we got nowhere to go but up. So here's one. I, here's, a, here's a story I heard a few years ago. There were two men sent in uh, to get exotic furs up in Canada, up near the Alaskan wilderness. Two men, and they're, they're going deep in, and the people that sent them said, we'll give you big money for exotic furs. So they're camping out in the wilderness in the middle of the night by a campfire. They fall asleep by the campfire, wrapped up all tightly, and one of them wakes up, and he sees that they're surrounded by wolves, 12 wolves around him. So he shakes his buddy, he says, wake up, wake up, wake up. His buddy wakes up, and he looks around, and his buddy's scared to death and trembling, and he says, are you thinking what I'm thinking? And the guy says, yes, we're rich. <laughs> How do you look at your problems? Wolves that are about ready to eat you up or exotic furs that are going to pay your family's way for years to come. This is what I want to remind you of. It's this. If God's word gives you something, take it and fight it to give it. Fight it to keep it. Keep it. This is what it is with the, with the promised land. God gave them the, that land. Go in and take it. Don't do it. God, just please, man. They, even when the walls came down in Jericho, they still had to go in and take the city. If God gives you something, take it and fight to keep it. Don't ever forget that. No matter what the wolves are in your life right now, do you see them as a cause for faith or for fear? If you are at rock bottom in your life, in your marriage, in your workplace, in your whatever your life situation is, if you're at the right bottom spot, do you think it's the end, it's gloom and doom, or do you think, man, I got nowhere to go but up from here? Second take home, so, so this is the first take home. Like if God gives you something, if it says in God's word, here's what it is. Sometimes people will say to me, I'll show them what God's word says. And they say, well, I need to go home and pray about it. And I'll say, stop. You don't need to pray about this. If God's word says it, then you just do it. There's no prayer needed here. And that, that kind of leads to the next point. Is democracy isn't always right. They had over an 80% vote. An 80% vote. We're not going in this place. This is a bad idea. Democracy isn't always right. The Holocaust was legal in a democratic society. And hiding Jews was criminalized by them. But that didn't make it right and wrong. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Slavery was once legal in this country. The democratic process allowed for that. Freeing slaves here in our area was criminalized. 
but that was right and this was wrong. Segregation was legal. You could tell people just because they had a different skin color than you, you're not allowed in this restaurant. You can't eat here. Protesting racism was criminalized. This is just 60 years ago. Just a friendly reminder, listen, legality isn't a guide to morality. And this is what Caleb and Joshua knew. Just because, <coughs> just because these guys, 10 guys, are unified in saying this is the way we are to do it, don't make it right. And this is why I say this. Here at this church, we don't vote on the word of God. We've got a constitution here that tells us how to do things that the Bible doesn't tell us how to do things. And we vote on how we're going to do these things together. But if God's word says it, we don't have a vote. I don't have, as a pastor, I don't have a vote. Sometimes people will say to me like, Steve, can I, do you think it would be okay for me to do X, Y, or Z? No, the Bible says this. Yeah, but what, just stop. There is no however. If all of us vote on one side against the Bible, we're still wrong. Do you see that? Even if 100% of, the, of America says something is right, if God says it's wrong, it's wrong. <clears throat> we don't vote on the word of God. And let me say this. I just want to say this kind of as a prophetic statement. The day we start voting whether or not we're going to do what the Bible says, I pray to God he shuts this place down. People a lot of time crying like, man, look out, man. You just We got all these churches closing down all over America. I praise God for churches closing down in America that don't stick to the word of God. Shut them all down. These places that bear the cross of Christ on the top and just defame marriage within those walls, shut them all down. We don't vote on the word of God. Next, number four, when you're scared of the future, this is a heavy one. Watch what you wish for. Watch what you wish for. Notice again what they said. And all the people grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, would that we have died in the land of Egypt. Look at this last one. Or... Would that we had died in this wilderness. And you know what God's response was after they said that? Okay. You got it. You'll never. He said to all the adults there, everybody 20 years old and over, he says, you know what? You want to die in the desert? You got it. Not one of you is going to see that promised land. You're all going to die out here, and your children will suffer in the desert for the next 40 years. Instead of being in a land flowing with milk and honey, you will be in a land flowing with scorpions and snakes. But your kids will learn a lesson, and your kids will be the one to take that land. So I'll say again, man, when you're scared of your future, watch what you pray for. Watch what you pray for. God just might give it to you. And then finally, I, I have to close with this. Ultimately, our faith is not in ourselves. It's in Christ and Christ alone. 
I don't believe that I'm going to accomplish some supernatural feat because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It doesn't give me supernatural superhero powers. What it's saying is, is I trust God that if he says something belongs to me, I can take it by the power of his Holy Spirit, not through the power of my flesh. And a lot of times people can hear sermons like this and say, that's right, I'm going to be big and I'm going to be bad. Let me tell you what. When you compare yourself to Jesus, and only when you compare yourself to Jesus, do you need to look like a grasshopper in your own eyes. Because compared to the greatness of of God, we're not even ants. We only have value, we only have worth, because every one of us have been created in the image of God. And we have value because of the price that God paid for our souls through Jesus Christ's atoning work on the cross at Calvary. You have worth, you have faith, you have strength, because Jesus gives you worth, because Jesus gives you faith. Because Jesus gives you strength. We don't do anything in and of ourselves. And so I just give you this thought. No matter what you're struggling with, no matter what the wolves are in your life right now, listen. Jesus and Jesus alone can give you the power to overcome those. Your question is what? Are you willing to trust in him and do it his way? 